Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, I'm Craig and Welcome to another episode of Football Kit Memories, the football podcast that gets under the shirt. In today's episode, I am joined by freelance video editor, director and writer Finley Marks. During our chat, we covered some of Finley's excellent work in football, producing content for a number of teams and brands, as well as his time at Copper 90, where he was involved in the incredible Derby Days documentary series. Later, and as always, I asked Finley to pick out three of his favourite football shirts and tell me a little bit more about what they mean to him. We land the 90s time machine first at Ibrox for five and six in a row, next to the World Cup USA 94, and we finish in Syria, where for Finley, a star-studded Sampdoria side embodies a period of calcio culture it's hard to forget. Remember, you can listen to this and other episodes of Football Kit Memories on all major audio platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please do like, follow, share, but above all, please do enjoy the podcast. Okay, so today on the podcast, I'm joined by freelance video editor, director and writer, Finley Marks. How are you doing, Finley? I'm really good, Craig. How are you doing? Mate, very well. Thank you very much. Uh, really, really excited to talk. I've, I've been on your website. I've looked at your CV, mate, and it's impressive. There's some amazing projects I want to talk to you about today. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, but well, what I want to do kind of first and foremost is to kind of roll it back and ask you how you got started off in video production and is that something that always interested you? Um, I, I think it was actually. Um, I've kind of always been fascinated by uh, really it was cinema or, or, or just kind of anything visual even since I was a kid. Um, I can remember seeing I must have been about eight or maybe even younger when Jurassic Park came out and yeah being enthralled by that experience of going into the cinema and feeling like I was in the midst of what I was watching. Like I was weirdly aware that I was um, watching something unfold in front of me and I was completely invested in it. And I just absolutely loved that. And I guess that feeling's kind of never really gone away. Um, I ended up uh, doing business and politics at uni and just really hated it and I think at that point I was just like I I think I really want to try and do something creative in video if I can um and so I graduated that and then went back to college and did a tv production course 
uh, at the at Glasgow Met, as it was then. I'm not sure what it's called now. It's had about right. 20 different iterations over the years. Um, yeah, and that was kind of the, the start of getting into the industry, I guess, it was at that point. But it's it, yeah, it's always been something that fascinated me. I think even as a kid, uh, I think anything anything that was like oral or oral or visual or whatever I, I just I, I was one of those kids that wasn't I think most kids are probably I, I wasn't like an avid reader or anything I find that stuff not boring in and of itself it's just more the medium that it was presented in was kind of boring I just yeah. I, I, I it resonated so much more if it was something visual that I could connect with and I think that's kind of led me into to the work that I'm doing nice mate nice so you started working at Copper 90 in 2017. Mm. How did that all come about? What were you doing before that? Um, before that, so my, my first job, I, I'd originally, once I graduated in Glasgow, I'd started to try and look for work in Glasgow. And at that time, I think there's more work available now, but at that time, so this is kind of like 2009, mm. there wasn't really much going. And at that point, definitely, and I think it still is very much so today, London was really the epicentre for the creative industries. I think if you wanted to really make a go of it, you kind of had to be in the city. Um, so I moved down to London in 2009 and um, was able to get some work experience and ended up getting a, a job uh, working for a charity in the southwest of the, the city. Um, ended up working in Soho for a couple of years, ended up being freelance for a couple of years after that. Yeah. Um, and then I met uh, uh, a girl who's now my wife, Sarah. Right. <laughs> and uh, when we, uh, just after we got engaged, I was, um, it just, it was so much less stress to have a full-time job at that point. Mm -hmm. I was like, if I'm going to go back to full-time work, um, it needs to be something that I'm kind of interested in. And then this opportunity came up at COPPA 90 and I was like, this is great because this marries together, pardon the expression, but this marries together um, the... Uh, my my love of filmmaking and my love, my passion for football, which has, again, been something that I've just been obsessed with since I was a, a little kid. Yeah. So that's kind of how, how it all came about. Did the interviews, got the job, and yeah, that was it. So talk to me about some of the projects you worked on there. You did some of the, like, the really big ones, right? So you edited um, the Berlin one, the Hamburg one, the South Coast one as well. Oh, yeah, of Derby Days. So that was... Um, yeah. I actually... I, a lot of the work that I did at COP90 is probably stuff that people would never see because I did a lot of brand work. Right. So um, COP90, people would know it for the outward facing stuff, the YouTube channel and the content that they made there. But uh, there's only a finite amount of money that's available and that kind of stuff. So really where as the, the YouTube channel grew and the company grew, it was... Um, in brand partnerships that that really is where, where the money comes to fund these films to do bigger and better yeah. things um so i my job was mostly looking after the brand side of things so when we were pitching to to uh clients to brands uh, that's what a lot of the stuff that i did was, was on that side um what was nice though was that in between times I occasionally got to dip my toe into some of the editorial stuff we did nice. and as my time went on there I was fortunate enough to be able to kind of be given more and more of that stuff to do and and uh slightly bigger and more expansive stuff which was really good because as an editor like to be able to get your teeth into that kind of stuff's really good fun because I think most of the stuff that Coppa did when I started certainly was um 
uh, it's like the more digestible content in that right. most of the stuff we did would be explainer videos or, you know, magazine shows or mm-hmm. travel docs, but they would probably be uh, not longer than 15 minutes, I'd say, or 12 minutes. I think the average length would probably be a three to four minute video. But yeah. one of the the jewels of the crown at Copa 90 was this um, series uh, that Ellie Menjum uh, wrote and direct and presented called Derby Days, where he went around uh, some of the biggest Derby matches in the world and kind of uh, exposed you to not just the game. It was that was the whole point of Copa Ninety was it wasn't just what was on the pitch; it was more the stuff off it, which started off as a workaround because they didn't have rights to show footage and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I, I'm sure we'll get into this this later on. But that's I think one of the things that's always really resonated so much for me. Like the sport is not just what happens on the pitch; it's all the wonderful stuff and the color and the flavor and the atmosphere that happens off it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something that it was great at Copa Ninety to be able to do. We kind of turned the cameras away from the pitch and onto the fans, and that fan culture is is the lifeblood of football. So, um, yeah. So Ellie had done I'd done a number of series of this, and by the time I joined Copa, I think he just finished a kind of mini series on um, Spain. Right, where he'd gone to four derbies in Spain, not the ones you would think of, like El Clasico, which he'd covered a number of years earlier, but other ones. So he did uh, like Galicia um, and and a couple of other uh, different regions where where there were these great derbies. And at that point, he was really starting to get a bit of a groundswell. So I think some of the episodes were like, you know, 15 minutes, 18 minutes, that kind of thing. Um, And then... Yeah, he was going to go to Hamburg and I got asked if I would be up for editing it in trying to uh, work with Ellie to try and make it something that was a bit even more filled out and and fully formed and really get our teeth into what it was. And that was great fun. So that was the first episode of Derby Days I did was was the Hamburg episode, um, which was great. So I think that was about half an hour, which at the time was the longest ever piece of content that Copa 90 had put out. And it was pretty well received, I think, because football fans... Uh, it really resonated with them in that it was um, one thing that Ellie's absolutely brilliant at is um, wanting to make sure that he does right by the people and the city of where he goes. So it's not trying to pander to uh, stereotypes or cliches of what people think that city would be like, but he really wants to get under the skin. And I think that's probably the mark that, makes Ellie most proud and and made us most proud as the production team was when we got supporters of those clubs in those cities being like oh you absolutely nailed what Hamburg's like or you absolutely nailed what Berlin's like or Argentina or Buenos Aires or you know wherever we were um so yeah so that was really good and then uh it the next one after that was supposed to be slightly bigger again but it turned into this behemoth of a project and of an event which was the um super classical episode we did which was on the copa libertadores final between uh, boca juniors and river plate which was the last one that was ever two-legged it was the first time they'd ever met in the final um and I, i'm sure most people listening if if they're fans of football will, will remember what happened but um it it just turned into like the it, it was the, the craziest like three four week period <laughs> 
um, where I think the first match was rained off by like a almost like a tsunami. Yeah. Um, then it was played about two days later, and that ended in a draw. And then the return leg was called off because the Boca Juniors bus was attacked mm. en route to the River Plate Stadium, and uh, the game was on. Then it was off. Then it was on. Then it was off again. And then eventually, it got moved to Madrid in <laughs> Europe to play the um, to play the the deciding or the second leg of it. And yeah, so that was um, one of the most ridiculous and fraught editing experiences of my life. And yeah. but but also, I think one of the the most fun um, things to be involved with because that felt like that was quite a in its own little way. Like it's not, it's not a, a, an enormous thing, but in its own little corner of the internet, we felt really proud of of what we've been able to make and to tell the story that we did whilst Ellie and the team were out there. Mate, I mean, it's a fantastic piece of content. Like you say, I think it's done like over 2 million views online. I wanted to ask you kind of, obviously all of that stuff is unfolding as it goes over those kind of three or four weeks. Are you guys trying to, you know, film as much as you can and edit it afterwards? Or are you kind of editing on the fly? Because I guess with something like that, you don't know what the narrative is going to be until it's all over. Is that right? Or Yeah, absolutely right. So you kind of, again, I guess that was always kind of part of, Copanenti's charm was like this kind of DIY, not quite studenty. That's that's kind of doing a, a disservice, but like this kind of run and gun punk filmmaking kind of aesthetic, which was yeah. just, you know, kind of we were and and there's literally shots of that in all of the Derby Days episodes. I think there's there's a bit where the game was called off at River Stadium and, and Ellie's literally running towards the FIFA president Gianni Infantino, being like. Uh, it's the game on what's happening and he's getting pushed away uh, the camera hops like chasing behind him like it was like literally that type of filmmaking and um, you, I, I mean, Ellie's an absolute pro like he is meticulous to the nth degree in his preparation for these films like he will order everything every book he can get his hands on he will you know go back years and years in old copies of 442 magazine or when Saturday comes or Mundial just try and like absorb everything he can about these places so um there is a huge amount of preparation that goes into it but like you say you kind of just have to go with it and and the super classical episode was just so crazy like that there was um for folks who haven't seen the episode um the taxi driver that Ellie just by chance got on on the first day was turned out to be a Boca Juniors fan, and yeah. they kind of um, f- decided to film him, and uh, he was uh, quite interesting, and he was telling all these great stories. I think there's one that he he um, I think a family member was like having a christening, and he was like, "Well, I can't go because Boca's playing, so I need to go," and it was like that level of like lovely little local localized story that was in yeah. there um yeah. and uh, uh, but they kept his number and so every time they needed to go out in the city again they they kind of they called him up and he would come and pick them and drive them around and oh, cool. he turned into almost like this uh central character yeah. in in the documentary and uh, not as a spoiler but there's a bit at the end where he's basically driving Ellie and the team back to the airport in the midst of all the madness that's happening. And, and he he gave this obviously completely off the cuff thing while he's driving about the state of what he feels modern football is and yeah. what football should be and what it shouldn't be and how, you know, um, there can be a dark side to the game. And it was like this incredibly profound 
moment that Ellie and the team caught on camera. Um, and, but that's, it's not scripted. Like you kind of just have to go with it. So yeah, the, there's a certain element where the narrative just kind of unfolds in front of you. And, and then your job is, as the production team is to try and sell that story as best you can, like making sure that these amazing characters, which are in football everywhere and every club will have its own, you know, um, crazy characters and local yeah, heroes yeah. and legends and stuff. And it's, it's about trying to, um, trying to show that off on the best possible platform yeah so like typically how big is the team that's working on something like that at copper uh they weren't particularly big i think just by the nature of super classical it was marginally bigger and by marginally bigger i mean like so i i would be basically the main editor and then mm -hmm. we would give chunks of the story to other guys on the in-house team okay. as and when they had capacity to do so um, just because the turnaround was so quick um, to, to try and get it out. I think Ellie had something like 50 or 60 interviews across the three and a bit weeks he was there. So that, that's an enormous amount of footage to, to go through. And we'd have to do a lot of, because of the time difference, we'd have to do a lot of like early mornings or late nights or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, Generally, yeah, no, the team, the, the team on the ground filming would probably be three or four. And then back in, in London, where we were putting it all together, it was, again, three or four tops, but um, it was mostly probably one or two of us working at the same time um, right. with others dip, dipping in when, when we needed the help. Wow, mate, this absolutely incredible project to be involved in. Um, I wanted to ask you then, so, so you're now working freelance and you work with a number of football clubs as well as brands, right? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I've been really lucky. So with Coppa, because they, they uh, worked with so many brands that were affiliated with the game as well, I was really fortunate in that I've been able to work with, you know, like Nike and Adi and Puma and the, the FA, the England national team, um, various different clubs through through those sponsors as well uh, or, or brands it's like yeah Real Madrid and Liverpool Man City Chelsea Juventus like that kind of stuff which is yeah. it's really cool um and I've been able to kind of I, I guess like in going back to freelance again um I think once you start to get known for doing certain things, then that kind of breeds the same work happening again. Yeah. And I, I, I've got no issue with that because I love football. So I, lo <laughs> I love being involved with, with different things. So yeah, I, I've been really lucky. I've been doing um, some pieces with Chelsea, uh, Motherwell. So I, I know um, uh, Laura Brannan, who's kind of like the head of all the content stuff over there. Mm. Uh, the two of us work together at COP. Copa 90 so we know each other from there so I've done um, some bits and pieces with them uh, I got to do what was really fun the um, the promo for the Fantasy Football Scotland app okay. at the start of the season which was good fun um, and and then I, I I mean this wasn't actually technically work but um, one of my really good friends from, from my time at uni is Andy Ling, who some folks might know as Alba Matter. I think you've interviewed him on the show before as well. Mm -hmm. And we got to do this video with the Scotland national team <laughs> just before the Euros. So yeah, it's I've, I feel incredibly fortunate uh, in my job to be doing something that I love and and uh, uh, generally around uh, 
a subject that I love as well, yeah. which is really cool. It's not all like that, you know. There's 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 uh, a lot of uh, fairly dry um, bits and pieces uh, with clients and things, but they're they're stuff that pays the bill. And yeah, so it's it's nice though to be able to to say that the majority of your work is stuff that you're actually interested in as well. Yeah, it, it sounds super varied. The stuff you do, I wondered. You you like you mentioned some like huge clubs there, like Spurs, Chelsea. And I wondered if there is a difference between working for clubs like that, the amount of kind of sign-off you have to go through versus working for a club like Motherwell in the Scottish Premier League. Is it easier? Is it different? You know, that kind of stuff. I, I think you'd actually be surprised at, at how small a lot of the teams are, even at these big clubs. Really? Um, yeah, I, I, I think... I mean, the team at Motherwell is only uh, uh, literally a handful, like two or three people that will kind of be looking after all that stuff. Yeah. And for that, like their content is unbelievably good. They do great stuff, don't they? Fantastic. It's really good. Yeah, um, yeah it's amazing. And um, but, but then I think by virtue of that, like the 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 teams at Spurs or whatever are are bigger, um, and they. they have the capacity then to do slightly more work but it's they're not exponentially bigger and it's not um the actual sign-off processes are, are very similar so you'd be working generally you know with one producer or two producers and they kind of make calls that way i think because a lot of the turnarounds are fairly quick because uh, things are um on an ad hoc basis you know like a game on a saturday a certain player does really well it's like well let's pull out a kind of best of their clips or something like that so that the turnaround uh, stuff is usually fairly quick so there's not really the time for people yeah, to yeah. be precious and be like oh yeah we can't have that we can't do this so <laughs> um and I, I, again i think it's probably one of those things where being a football fan helps because you kind of even if you weren't uh, uh didn't have an intimate knowledge of a specific club or whatever you kind of still know who the big players at a club would be or or you know a certain player not to feature or whatever so you know like in doing edits for Spurs you probably would never put Saul Campbell in anything even if right. it was like an old highlights game or something it's small things like that yeah. um yeah so yeah saves you, saves you time on sign off knowing your football a little bit basically yeah I think nice. so. <laughs> so so look Philly you've worked across some amazing projects already but is there a project that would be your dream project is it something you could retire on I, do you know, I don't think I've ever been asked that question before. Um, I don't know. I think I, I've been lucky enough that um, I, so I, as a football fan, my the team that I supported as a kid was was Rangers. Um, the As most people kind of my age and younger tend to do, they've got either a soft spot or actively support an English team as well. Mm. So from the age of about 11, when I saw them at a preseason tournament at Ibrox, Spurs had kind of been my my second team. Um, and and then obviously being Scottish, Scotland is my national team. And I, I think I've been able to tick off working with Tottenham and the Scotland national team. So I, I guess for me, like I, I, if the opportunity came up to do something uh, with Rangers, that, that would be really cool. Um, but we'll wait and see if that happens. Again, I, I, I maybe there's that that thing of you know never work with your heroes kind of thing <laughs> but, um yeah i i mean maybe that's the kind of the the only other thing where i'd be like if, if i think if i could say that i've i've done something for rangers then that would be pretty cool i think eight-year-old me would be pretty satisfied with that very nice mate well let's hopefully hopefully it happens for you
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Should we talk about some football shirts? Yeah, let's do it. So, mate, the question I ask everybody on the podcast is, what do football shirts mean to you? So I was thinking about this question and I, there's no real way of saying this without coming across like a total, like up his own arse hipster. <laughs> but I, I kind of feel like, like for me, the, the, the thing that draws out most emotion is, uh, are like the what are now called retro kits. Like mm. I, I firmly believe the 80s to a lesser extent, but definitely the 90s was like the golden period for football kits. Um and I, I kind of feel like I, I always loved them. So I, I feel like, you know, the retro kit thing has definitely become a really cool thing over the last five, six, seven years or whatever. Um, but I liked it before it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, I've always been fascinated uh, by like the colors and the ranges and the sizes and like how bizarre some of them were, but just how iconic a lot of them are as well. And you even see that now, like, um, you know, the, the retro kit cultures is huge now. Yeah. And people who were probably not even born when the kits came out will now wear it as a fashion item or whatever. Like that's a total look in and of itself. Yeah. And there's the market now where um, not even, you know, the, the original shirts, but like on mass replica yeah, shirts yeah. Um, are doing brilliantly. Like, you know, you see at the Euros, how many of the 
Scotland Euro 96 tops did you see or the France 98 yeah. tops and yeah, yeah. rather as much as the brand new top like the one that the team's playing in currently and mm-hmm. yeah I, so I I think I get nostalgic about it because I think to me those kits like the 90s kits or football in general in the 90s is representative I feel of a, of a much more innocent time okay. uh, in the sport um, I think like before really in the 2000s and beyond it turned into I feel a much more kind of corporate mm. uh, marketing behemoth than than it was back then you know like in the 90s you would have um, clubs would wear the same kit for two seasons in a row yeah. Well, that's just absolutely bonkers to think of now. Yeah. <laughs> and I again like so I'm a, I'm a Rangers fan I, the club has just very recently released its fourth kit of the season which yeah. kind of makes sense and it, it's a big um anniversary year for the club but still it's just and, and also it's like shelling out 60 quid every time you know and then there's like the the pro version or there's the long sleeve version and uh, yeah. uh, like when we were growing up it was just the kit like that just was it <laughs> you didn't even get names on the back of your shirt it was just yeah. maybe a number of you were a bit flash but you know you didn't get <laughs> names on your shirt so um i i think i i, I actually i remember thinking about this um oh, would it have been the 2006 world cup that you you look at the um I think it was all the night kits. It was basically the same carbon copy design with the colors changed depending on, on what country it was. And I just find that just really dull and boring. I was like, it it essentially just looks like a training kit. And I think to me, most modern football kits kind of look like training gear with a badge or something on it. Um, you, You do get occasional ones that are, a bit more interesting so i think like the the nigeria kit during the 2018 world cup again for probably on a fashion side of things has become like an iconic shirt but i maybe part of it is that thing that because teams don't wear their kits as often or or over these longer cycles they have less chance to become iconic because the, the way kits become iconic are the players that play in them or the trophies that your club won wearing them or whatever it is so um yeah, that's kind of how I feel about them. I, I'm definitely uh, a happily a kind of like old man about this stuff. I, I firmly <laughs> believe that the uh, the football kits from the '90s were like a golden period. Well, look, mate, let's let's take a step back into the '90s then with your first shirt. So, <laughs> this is—I'll be honest with you—a very dark time for me. This is uh, Rangers '92 to '94 home shirt by Adidas. Um, mm. I think it's the fifth and sixth league titles in a row. This one. It was, yeah. So this was the first football shirt I ever owned. It was the football shirt that Rangers were wearing when I would say properly started following the team and, you know, like looking out for the results and everything. And um, it's just, I still think it's the best looking football shirt. I, I, I And a lot of that's to do with the memories that are attached to it. But yeah. like the the sponsor and, and the crest being in the middle, like that huge big red Adidas uh, collar that was on it. Yeah. The, the big Adidas flashes down the side, the, the three stripes. Um, and, and, but like you say, I think it's for the memories that are associated with it. So the, the first season that Rangers wore it was 92-93 where Rangers won the treble and very came very close to getting to getting into the final of the first ever Champions League just when it was yeah. eight, eight teams um, so that 
I, and also as well, the other thing, the away kit, and I, I think this is something that I find sad doesn't happen anymore, but I love when an away kit is the inverted yes. pattern of a home kit. I just, I just love when that happens. And yeah. the away kit that season was was a white shirt with the red collar and blue uh, Adidas stripes down the side. So mm. yeah, I just, I absolutely love that kit. Um, I, I was my grand. I didn't actually grow up in that much of a football supporting family. It was my granddad, really. He's the football fan in the family, and he's a, a Dundee fan. But okay. I, I think his father was a Rangers fan, so he kind of didn't mind that uh, I, okay. I, I had chosen Rangers. Um, and it's like it's weird how when you're like, I think I must have been six, um, five or six at, at this point, the really important things to you are how cool the players look and what color they play in. Yep. And I just, I was like, I loved the blue kit and I loved Ali McCoist. And that was basically the reason that I wanted to, to support Rangers. I wanted to score goals like Ali McCoist. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they're, they're good enough reasons. I think you're right. Absolutely beautiful shirt, isn't it? I think France had a similar one, didn't they? Similar, similar template as well. My memory. They were quite, yeah, there were quite a few Adidas kits that had very similar ones. I think Liverpool round about the same time, kind of 91 to 93, with the candy on the front had, it wasn't um, three big stripes down the side, but it was like three off the shoulder and three off the, the stomach kind of thing. Scenario. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and France definitely had a similar kit to that, which was, I think it was like one or two red and one white um, mm -hmm. thing coming down. It's like a Cantona kit, I think, era yeah, that one, right. probably early 90s, but... Yeah, it's just a cool-looking kit. Absolutely beautiful, mate. So, look, let's move on to your second shirt. This is another cracker. I like this one. So, this is uh, the USA Away shirt by Adidas at USA 94. Tell me more, mate. So, uh, I, this the reason I picked this uh, was more for the tournament um, because I think everybody kind of remembers their first World Cup or their first Euros, whatever the first major tournament is. Um, and I, a lot of people look back on USA 94 as not a great tournament. Um, you know, it was the first ever final decided on penalties. And, yeah. um, but I just, I was absolutely transfixed with it the whole time. I, I think part of it was to do with, um, this is a really boring technical aside as an editor, um, but in trying to explain what what I mean by the look of the footage, because um, uh, the frame rate of American TV is different from what we have in Europe and in the okay. UK. Um, so we use 25 frames a second in America. It's 24 or 29.99 or 30 or 60, or there's like variations. Okay. Like some, some frame rates are just absolutely bizarre. But um, when you move that back onto a broadcast that is 25 frames per second, it has this kind of like fuzzy, glossy okay. uh, quality to it, which is why American TV, you can tell it's American TV, especially oh. the old stuff, um, by d just by looking at it. You right, wouldn't right. even have to hear the audio for it to know that. Um, it's different now because everything's digital, so it doesn't really okay. matter, and TV's all kind of broadcast the same, so it all looks the same now. But back in the, the 90s and before, um, you could tell that what when it was an American broadcast. And I think because of that, it kind of, all the football had this like really weird, ethereal, not quite real, glossy um aesthetic and i just i thought that was so cool and 
because it was in America, it was like the colors were brash and yeah. bold and none of the stadium announcers pronounced the players' names right or anything. <laughs> you know, I, I just, even small things like that sounded epic. So like you had, uh, uh, I don't know why this one sticks out in my mind, but uh, at the tournament, one of the, the strikers for Sweden was a player called Martin Dahlen, who yeah. I think played at Blackburn Rovers for a while and stuff. But um, I remember he scored for Sweden in one game and, and the announcer came on and he was like, scorer for Sweden, Martin Deleen. And I was, it just, that sounded so epic and different. And um, I think as well, because it was all the, because of the time difference, I was watching it in the evening, but it was like daylight over there and yeah, yeah. the stadiums were enormous and the crowds were going crazy and just, I absolutely loved it. Yeah. Anyway, getting back to the kit, I think just because... I mean, I could have picked any number of of the kits from this tournament. Like, there's some absolute bangers. Like, uh, the Morocco kit is amazing. The Nigeria kit was amazing. Even the Italy shirt was blue, but it had like an embossed kind of logo of yeah. of the national association on it. And um, the Brazil kit was great because it had again like that huge embossed uh, uh, shield badge thing. Yeah, yeah, and that was an umbral kit that was really cool. Uh, I, I remember the Republic of Ireland kit was really cool. The the away one, it was like white, but with like green faded lines going down the front. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah, it was just great. And there were so many great iconic moments in that as well. You know, John Aldridge shouting at the, the technical guy in the, in the pink jacket and yeah. uh, Diana Ross <laughs> missing, <laughs> missing in the opening ceremony. The, I mean, the Germany kit as well was amazing with the kind of like diamonds going down yeah. the way and the yeah. Mexico kit was great. Basically every kit was great, but for some reason, um, the USA away kit stuck in my mind. So it's like the blue one with these stars going down the side of it. Um, and I, I guess I kind of just chose them out of the nostalgic reason that surrounded the whole tournament, not just the team. Yeah. I think everybody can probably see in in their mind in that American kit, um, Alexi Lalas with his crazy red hair and the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. big goatee beards coming down. Um, but it was just, to me, it signifies like that tournament was just so fun and so cool. And um, yeah, just what I was alluding to earlier, like this, time where it seemed a lot more innocent i don't know just a lot more fun um and yeah that's the kind of kit the one kit that really summed up for me that whole experience of what that world cup was like love it mate love it i think we're a similar age so i'm kind of getting the same kind of memories from this stuff too mate fantastic so we've got final kit in the 90s so this is the sandoria 94 to 95 home shirt by a6 how come you chosen this one um so this one uh, I, I think again, like if you've grown up in the '90s, I think it's fair to say that most people would have really good memories of Saturday morning Gazetta Football Italia and like how important watching that different type of football on TV was as a football fan growing up. Yeah. Um, I think Football Italia to me. I get this is going back to something of why I, I loved working at Coppa 90 because it wasn't just about the football. I mean, the football was mind blowing. It was amazing. Pretty much every week there was an overhead kick being scored or a 35 yard thunder bastard by a central <laughs> defender that's never scored in their career before. It was just, it was the place to be. Like the Italian league had all the best players and like crazy goals and amazing kits and all the rest of it. But um, 
in watching Gazetta, you know, like you you saw these bits where like their, their newspaper was pink. Like how yeah. cool was that? And you had uh, James Richardson sitting on some massive big uh, stoned piazza somewhere yeah. with a pudding the size of his head in front of him, you know, spouting off like in Italian what the headline was and why that was crazy and, you know, why... <laughs> The, the Perugia manager had only lasted nine days and all of these kind of, and you're like, I don't need to know any of this, but it's cool. And yeah. I think for me, it kind of, uh, it really it touched uh, on something which was, I think has become something as an adult, I've, I've really enjoyed embracing, which is kind of the travel and the wanderlust element of, of football culture and being like enjoying and being inquisitive about other people's culture and traveling around. And one of my favorite things to do is uh, sadly haven't had much cause to do over the last two years with, with the pandemic, but visiting different countries and trying to visit a football match while I'm there. So I've been to like Ferenc Varos in Budapest or uh, uh, Hertha Berlin in Germany, or um, just before uh, the the pandemic struck, uh, a couple of friends and I went out to the El Gran Derby, so the Seville Derby between Betis and Sevilla. And um, it's just, it's wonderful to not just go for the football, which is brilliant, but like soak up the atmosphere, try the food, listen to the music, go on a night out there. Like when we were in Seville, we went to like a, a late night flamenco bar and just like all these different things. I just, I love that. Um, the way that football can be a, a thing that opens doors to the rest of the world, to different people. Yeah, yeah. I think I, 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 I have a fairly decent, grasp of geography particularly european geography and i think 90 percent of that is down to knowing where random football teams are from qualifiers or ever like i would have no no reason to know where tbilisi is other yeah. than i know dynamo tbilisi where timuri gets by used to play or something like that you know like this weird yeah. little peccadillos that you get from being a football fan that you get and uh, I, I, I think Sarah Ah was the thing that kicked that off for me, mid-90s watching it. And again, like there, there were so many cool kits at this time, so many cool teams, so many cool players, but I've always had a bit of a soft spot for uh, the, the Sampdoria kit and Sampdoria as a team. Yeah. I think because they're, they came close to being spectacular in the 90s. And but they never quite got there, and they yeah, yeah. they've faded away a little bit since then. And um, th- there's like a kind of that that romance that drags you in as as a football fan, to, as a neutral, to cool. something where you're just like, oh, you kind of want the underdog to do it. And and um, at this time, I think this particular kit um, is beautiful because it it's it, the one with the kind of lace up um, 1920s style bit at the front. Um, yeah. With with the thread at the front, Colour, which yeah. you would see on, you know, I think Man United had a kit in the nineties that was similar as well. Yeah. Um, th- th- they've got that iconic ERG sponsor, and also the badge and the colours going across the stomach, not across the the traditional bits above the top of the breast. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they've got like the little Italian kind of flag, the mod symbol that's in the corner. Yeah. And I think it was just the the players that were associated with them at that time. Again, like not. Not 
necessarily always the best players, although they had some truly world-class talents, you know, like Ruud Hula and Gianluca Vialli mm-hmm. and Mancini and a couple of other players like that, Veron. But um, they had like Sinisa Mihailovic, who was just an absolute nut job who could smash in a free kick, <laughs> like yeah. like nobody's business. And they had, yeah, just kind of cool players as well as as great players. And yeah. to me, that, that it's just one of the most fun kits. I think the badge as well of the kind of... Uh, it's not really on this kit, but just the Sam uh, logo of like a, it's almost like um, Peter Pan crossed with Popeye. It's like a, <laughs> a guy kind of with a little um, I can't uh, remember his pipe name coming out. I can't remember his <laughs> special name for him, don't they? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, actually. That's yeah. terrible. I don't know that. But yeah, yeah. it's, um, I, I just, I just always thought they were kind of a cool club. I think, again, probably part of that, I saw, um, Sampdoria at, at Ibrox in the same preseason tournament. I saw Tottenham when I was about ten or eleven, Aye. and I guess maybe like that affiliation then kind of sticks a little bit as well. But um, yeah, that's that. That was why I chose that one because I just um, I think it's it's uh, symbolic of that um, how cool that Italian football was in the nineties, and I, I think how much of a uh um i think an example that was to to probably the premier league and la liga and other leagues going forward was just like if you were able to attract the best talent like that became the focus um at the time italy was just you know amazing to watch right i love it no finley thanks so much for sharing your football kit memories with me that's three absolutely amazing choices mate um (laughs) where, where can people find you online um, it's I, I, I've uh, pr- probably Twitter's the easiest place. Um, I think I, I've got a really weird spelling of my name that's got a D in it. So if okay. you search that, it'll probably bring up everything: Twitter, Instagram, um, my website, and everything. But it's um, yeah, at Finley Marks on Twitter. I, I think it's at Finley underscore Marks on Instagram, and uh, just FinleyMarks.com is the website if you want to see any of the work I've done or other things. Lovely stuff, mate. Been absolutely fantastic speaking to you. Thanks so much for coming on. No, thanks so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Always fun to talk about football like this. So there you have it. Massive thanks to Finley for sharing his football kit memories with me. Remember, you can follow me, my own collection on Instagram, or get in touch via Twitter or email. Make sure you follow Finley too, check out his socials and check out his website for more of his work. The music you heard on the podcast was produced by Eva Led. Check out his music on his Bandcamp page. There's links to absolutely everything I mentioned there in the notes section. And finally, thanks to you for listening. If you have enjoyed it, please do spread the word. Give me a follow on social and subscribe to Football Kit Memories on your podcast player of choice. And other than that, I'll catch you next time. <laughs>